Good morning. It's Tuesday, October 5th. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram have gradually started coming back online following massive outages yesterday, affecting people around the world. A network monitoring expert tells CNN he'd never seen anything like it from a tech company as big as Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg posted an apology on his Facebook page just as service returned. The company says it traced the problem to a settings change that affected how its systems communicate, and that created problems across Facebook. The company says there's no evidence user data was compromised. Lots of people went to other platforms like Twitter to complain and make jokes about Facebook being down. And I realize this sounds like first world problems, but the Washington Post looks at how this outage affected billions of people around the world. There are some countries, including Kenya, Malaysia, and Colombia, where nearly 90% of the core population uses WhatsApp. That's the messaging app owned by Facebook. And because of that WhatsApp outage, for hours, many people couldn't easily text or call relatives around the world. Remember, without WhatsApp, calls and texts are unaffordable in a lot of places. And in some Middle Eastern countries, Facebook and WhatsApp are so key to people and governments that the outage was practically a communications blackout. WhatsApp offers encrypted communication, so it's appealing to people in countries where they're worried about government surveillance. The outage was the number one story in many countries, with news outlets encouraging people to sign up for alternatives like Telegram. And this is all happening at the same time Facebook is under growing scrutiny about the impact of its products. Today, a whistleblower who left the company testifies in the Senate. The internal documents she provided were in the Wall Street Journal investigation we talked about on this show recently. CNN is reporting. Her prepared testimony contains this line, quote, I came forward because I recognized a frightening truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside Facebook. The Nobel Prize in Physics is shining a light on climate change. CNN is reporting two of the winners are being recognized for their groundbreaking work in modeling and predicting climate change. The Nobel Committee said these researchers, quote, laid the foundation of our knowledge of the Earth's climate and how humanity influences it. A third scientist was recognized, too, for his research on complex physical systems. His work has applications in areas including math, biology and machine learning. Birds and fish are dying and beaches are shut down as Southern California races to clean up a massive oil spill. The governor has declared a state of emergency. More than 125,000 gallons of oil poured out of an offshore pipeline in the last few days. The oil company says a ship anchor may have struck the pipeline, but investigators aren't sure what caused the leak. The LA Times has been all over this story. It published this really insightful piece that looks back at an earlier oil spill in California and how that changed environmental politics around the U.S. A key moment for the modern environmental movement was in 1969. There was a huge oil spill off the coast of Santa Barbara. The water was so thick with oil, you couldn't even hear the waves crashing. Some people call the Santa Barbara spill 
the environmental shot heard around the world. The disaster moved people and politicians to make changes. In the years since that spill, California took the lead when it came to restricting offshore oil drilling. Governors, counties, and cities, they all passed laws and fought energy companies in court. And other coastal states enacted similar laws. But there is still the potential problem of decades-old oil platforms and pipes. Many of them were built before current laws went into effect. One ocean conservation expert who's looked at the offshore infrastructure says it's so old, it's unsafe. She wants the legacy pipes decommissioned, calling them time bombs. Are you feeling burned out from work? It's not just you. A recent survey found 90% of workers have been right there with you this last year. Since the pandemic, the lines between work and home blurred. Many people put off vacations, meetings now seem never-ending. And according to that survey, more than half of employees say their workloads increased during the pandemic. For one finance worker named Jonathan Frostick, It got so bad that when he had a heart attack back in April, he found himself thinking about his wife, his will, and how he might have to miss his meeting with his manager the next day. He recovered, and he decided to totally transform the way he works to make more time for family. The Wall Street Journal has been reporting on these workplace trends all throughout the pandemic. And in a new piece, they write about extreme burnout culture and what we can do about it. In this piece, the writer encourages anyone experiencing burnout to ask yourself, could you care less about the things that don't really matter? One person told the journal she started to sort her work tasks into things that mattered and things that were not only useless, but also draining. It was kind of like a Marie Kondo approach to things. If something isn't really critical to the job and it isn't enjoyable, maybe it's time you get rid of it. Excessive meetings, reports that nobody reads, just toss them out like an old sweater that's taking up space. You might find yourself doing your job better and probably have more personal time on your hands. A psychologist the journal spoke to, she has a warning. Overachievers sometimes throw themselves too hard into new hobbies. And her advice is don't think about running a marathon, just try a 5K. Otherwise, you're just replacing one kind of stress with another. We all know the experience of air travel has changed over the years. Gone are the days of free headphones and meals. Every little thing seems like it comes with a surcharge. Do I sound like I'm a million years old right now? Mm-hmm. Well, Bloomberg Businessweek is out with a story about how airlines have discovered another game changer. Tucked between the luxury of business class and the misery of coach, there's a section called premium economy. And airlines are placing their bets that this section is the future of air travel. You see, for a lot of airlines, premium economy is now the most profitable section of the plane. This is all new. For a long time, airlines racked up profits in the super fancy seats at the front, but the pandemic snuffed out a lot of business travel, and that forced airlines to find new ways to make money. Bloomberg breaks down the math. See, premium economy seats cost a lot more than coach, but they only need a little bit more space. And because of that, they can be 40% more profitable per square foot than those massive seats in business class. Now, the name of the game is getting regular flyers to trade up. 
Airlines have to strike a tricky balance to protect their profits. They have to make premium economy nice enough to get people to upgrade from coach, but not so nice that it competes with the big money seats in business class. So those live flat seats that turn into cushy flying beds on the red eye flight. Yeah, don't expect those in premium economy. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're in the app, keep listening to hear narrated articles from our News Plus partners. I am actually off to catch a flight myself. I'm going to India. I'm going to go spend some time with my grandmother. So thanks for holding down the Fort Duarte. I'll be back in a couple weeks. Have a safe flight, Samita. Hold up. 